and he's been doing this for several years, and he's here to walk us all through the process of uh, federal consistency. Uh, good evening, Edwin. Good evening, Tyrone. Thanks for having me on the show. Look forward to uh, participating in um, in the in, in the um, discussion over the next hour. Yeah. By context, uh, the Marianas uh, Island Training and Testing Study Area. It's a proposal to basically expand uh, the current operations of the Department of Navy in the waters here to an area of almost a million square miles. And it's been a matter of major concern for many of the community over recent years because of the potential uh, for um, uh, activities involving not only underwater sonar testing and the use of explosives as part of the training facilities and the effect that might have on the environment and on other cultural and environmental resources within the area. Uh, in the process of implementing the MIT from the federal angle, what many people uh, don't fully appreciate is, is aside from a public comment period where the public and the government of Guam and government leaders and civic leaders can input their views into it, part of the approval process involves going back to the government of Guam, particularly the Bureau of Statistics and Plans, uh, under the Guam Coastal Zone Management Program, which is a federal program, and which gives the um, uh, local government a chance to uh, have provide its own analysis uh, based on statutory language of, of the efficacy of the Marias Island Training and Testing Study Area, and indeed any uh, other major uh, military build-up project. And it, as I said, this is under a federal program called the Coastal Zone Management Program. Uh, perhaps to start with, Edwin, maybe you could give people an overview of what is the Coastal Zone Management Program. Okay, so the uh, Coastal Zone Management Program was established in 1979 through a um, act of Congress known as the Coastal Zone Management Act in which the government of Guam and the National uh, Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration under the Department of Commerce came to agreement to create a set of standards and a framework to operate and to administer the coastal, um, coastal zone uh, management program. But this is part of a national program. In other words, the U.S. government has come to this arrangement with uh, 30-some states and territories across the country. Um, so it's, it's pretty much everybody who has a coast. Coast and uh, Great Lakes. Coasting, well, yes. And for purposes of this program, we're used to thinking of, of uh, either the East Coast and the West Coast when it comes to the continental U.S., either the Atlantic or the Pacific. Uh, but under the Coastal Zone Management Program, it also includes states that uh, have coasts on the Great Lakes. So many states in the heart of the country, in the Midwest, states like Indiana, they have a coast. And so therefore, bar, part of the uh, uh, National Coastal Zone Management Program uh, and this is a 100% federally funded program, and which mandates uh, a number of functions and helps uh, fund them. Uh, but one of them, uh, uh, tell the purpose, what is the purpose of the Coastal Zone Management Program in general? In, in general, so Congress determined uh, that the coast is a very unique and special place. I mean, there are very different dynamics and uh, different things that are going on in the coastal areas, such as things like population density, things like transportation of goods, things like just aesthetic value and um, uh, uh, cultural richness and recreational richness that the coast offers. So there's something very special about it. On the, uh, on, on the same note, there are certain challenges with living in the coast, which means that we're much more vulnerable to you know, coastal hazards. 
And so this kind of dynamic about wanting to ensure that we can enjoy the coast and the coast is something that we can work to ensure that grows and um, is managed responsibly, that it's also, uh, we want to uh, make sure that the management program works towards ensuring that this area is also a safe place uh, and a vibrant place so that um, we can continue to really um, kind of enjoy the features of, of our coastal area. Um, and so the Coastal Zone Management Act provides a provision which is called federal consistency. And basically... Yeah, before we get into that here, I just want to uh, just to chime in as to why the system works this way. Um, unlike many other countries, the U.S. operates on a federated system in which um, not uh, a lot of programs are, though funded 100% by the federal government, are actually administered by state and territorial governments. And this is one, like a good example is food stamps. Food stamps is 100% funded uh, by the U.S. government, but they issued in grants in the food stamps to state and uh, territorial governments who actually do the process of uh, reviewing qualified applicants and distributing the food stamps and all the quality checks, et cetera, here. Uh, this is a, uh, another example of operating a federated system here where uh, the U.S. government not only mandates it but uh, funds the effort to ensure that um, federal activities and federal projects confirm, conform to federal law and as well, as well local law. And so in this respect, that is the purpose of the federal consistency review, is it not? It is, yeah. And, and so one of the, the great features of federal consistency, like you mentioned, is that it is uh, an, an act, um, uh, a coordination tool among the federal gov government that has statutory authority, but it's based on local policy. And so this is the, the beauty of it, that while it is, um, you know, we, we do have a cooperative agreement with the federal government that the um, the the writing of the policies come from the state's needs and it's prescribed based on what we uh, think are policies that would help us better manage uh, and our coast responsibly and I just sort of want to uh, mention though this is a, a very impassioned issue uh, when it comes to the military build up or in particular uh, the mid itself it's arrived very a striding comment uh, within the community and the passions run from um, you know, uh, military buildup at any cost to no militarization. Uh, but the federal consistency review uh, conducted by Edwin and his colleagues is actually a very dispassionate process. It goes where the evidence and the data leads them to. It, 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 if, for example, the data uh, indicates that a project should not be, then that's where it goes, regardless how one actually feels about a project pro and con. Uh, conversely, if one is supports a project, but the data uh, does not support it in the best interest of the coastal zone or, uh, or compliance with federal and local law, uh, then the review will go in that direction, right, right, Edwin? That's that's true. So we are guided by 18 enforceable policies, and these policies are um, a narrative of of some of the things that we want to achieve. And in that narrative, we have um, a description of what the policy aims to achieve, but then also the enforceable mechanisms. Well, because we have the time, and one reason why I'm doing the show is to allow the time to go on these issues in depth. Perhaps you could go through the 18 policies and just uh, briefly summarize one at a time so they, the listeners have a sense as to what federal consistency review encompasses. Absolutely. Um, so, for example, our first policy under the development policy is called shore area development. And the intent is to ensure that environmental and aesthetically compatible um, is to ensure environmental and aesthetic compatibility of shore area and land uses. Um, and so then it goes on to give a description that 
only those uses shall be located within the seashore reserve that enhances or are compatible with or do not generally degrade, detract from the surrounding coastal areas, aesthetic and environmental quality and beach accessibility, or can demonstrate dependence on such a location and the lack of feasible alternative sites. In other words, that speaks to the natural, be natural beauty, which uh, we all enjoy and which is, enriches the life of any community. It does. Um, and interesting, it also touches on beach accessibility, too. Mm. Um, so you have this kind of dynamic about making sure that as you develop, you don't develop in a way that, um, you know, detracts from the shoreline. Uh, some could argue that, you know, there are some examples where certain types of construction in the shoreline does detract from the, sh um, the aesthetic value. Um, and there's a lot of ample examples of that in tourist areas in the, in the, in the country that are very much developed. I mean, that argument is often made about Waikiki, for example, and that, that part of Oahu. Uh, fortunately, on the North Shore, it's more accessible, but the, by that part, you know, property values are such. Uh, beach accessibility becomes a very uh, uh, a strident sort of issue, a very pointed issue. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the strength in the, the policy really then gives um, uh, advocates and um, you, um, you know, regulators' teeth to really kind of look at the design and then make an argument whether or not there is going to be an impact to the resource policy. So we, for example, if there is like a tea groin, for example, a tea groin is a structure that they, uh, they place in the shoreline to help um, with beach erosion. And this, this is kind of, it's a riprap is what they call it, but they're really like boulder mounds. Mm -hmm. And you see this, um, the type of boulders in Talafofo Bay that they used to harden the shoreline. But this structure goes out uh, perpendicular to the shoreline and it, um, it helps to break up that wave energy. One of the, you know, the benefits of having a Tigran is that in, in the cases in Hawaii, we do see it, uh, it does protect the shoreline. Um, but then you have the issue of of access uh, in, within the nearshore area. So let's say a kayaker was once able to just kayak freely across the nearshore area. Now you have these structures that then kind of impede that. So um, kind of a lot of different, um, you know, kind of dynamic to, to looking at um, these uh, capital improvements projects and then how do they uh, potentially affect the, use, uh, the users and the environment. Okay, what's the next objective? Um, so the next one is urban development. And so the policy, um, the intent is to cluster high impact uses to ensure coherent community designs, functions, infrastructure, support, and environmental compatibility. Um, so uh, with the Navy, they said that this, um, this um, policy is not applicable to the MIT. And so this is kind of the, the process well, where... Well, maybe explain, yes, yeah, so what exactly this means in, in sort of English. The, some of the stuff gets jargonistic, but uh, what exactly this means in terms of urban? Yeah, so the, the policy um, goes on to read commercial, multifamily, industrial, and resort hotel zone uses, and uses requiring high levels of support facilities shall be concentrated with appropriate zone as outlined in the Guam Zoning Code. So in essence, is whether the development complies with zoning law. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. local zoning. And an example of, of how, under federal consistency, you review not only the application of national statutes, uh, but also of local statutes as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, if, if there is a, um, a federal act, an action in which they fund, let's say, a, a government of Guam entity mm -hmm. to do a project, 
uh, for urban design, we would make sure that it was compatible with this uh, resource policy. Okay, what other objectives do they are uh, under the framework? Okay, so we can move on to development policy three, which is rural development. Um, and the policy reads, rural districts shall be designated um, in which only low density residential and agriculture uses will be acceptable. Minimum lot sizes for these uses sh should be one half acre until adequate infrastructure handling functional sewering is provided. So resource policy again, um, for the, in the case of the Navy, they indicated that it's not applicable. Mm -hmm. in, in this case here, in but in future ones yeah. that it's off of city is. Mm -hmm. so. right. And the next one? Okay, so we'll move on to major facility siting. Mm -hmm. And this policy reads, in evaluating the consistency of proposed major facilities with the goals, policies, standards of the comprehensive development and coastal management plans, Guam shall recognize the national interest in the siting of such facilities, including those associated with electric power production and transportation, petroleum refining and transmission, port and air installation, solid waste disposal, sewage treatment, and major reservoir sites. Basically infrastructure. Infrastructure, yeah. yeah. And we're joined here by the Governor Lulian Guerrero's uh, chief advisor for uh, um, the military buildup and regional affairs, Carlotta Lian-Guerrero. Welcome, Carlotta. Thank you very much for having me, and I was listening to the two of you uh, for a little bit as I was coming in. It wasn't so, too dry, I hope. Well, uh, when I am a policy wonk. I'm a total mm. government geek, and so when somebody says there are 18 policies that we are uh, we have to review and make sure they're consistent with, and Ty says, let's review those 18. Yes, well, you know, I'm a happy girl. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. For, for those who want and I'm the, learning. For where those who want the quick and dirty explanation of these stuff, there are other shows for this. Uh, we're trying to go on these issues sort of in depth. So, uh, Carlotta, by the way, I'm very appreciative of dropping by. She just got off the plane. Yes, Fun Pompey, where she was accompanying Governor Lula and Guerrero since some meetings with the, the president of the FSM mm -hmm. and other leaders in, in Pompeii. And so she got straight off the plane and came here and uh, helped us with the discussion about the MID. We've just explained that the um, early on that the MID involves an increase in the testing area to up to almost a million square miles and uh, the concerns about underwater activities including um, uh, possibly ex uh, bomb explosions and, and sonar testing. And just to give people a sense as to what's examined under the Federal Consistency Review, uh, a process which began today with my is issuance of a memorandum to uh, 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 several GovGuam agencies, including the Departments of Agriculture, Land Management, Parks and Recreation, Public Works, the Guam Rhino Protection Agency, and the Guam Waterworks Authority for their input as part of the process to do federal consistency review, including the Bureau's own review and compliance to the 18 objectives uh, that are listed there, uh, some of which apply to the MIT, some of which are not. But I'm asking anyone to go through them one by one or maybe summarize them as you, as you, since we're heading to the top of the hour, just to keep, give people a general overview as to what, what the basis Edwin and his professional staff um, do to uh, provide the consistency review, which is, as I described earlier, a dispassionate process uh, based not on what, how you feel about these things, but what the, how, where the evidence and data leads to. And as, as you listen to um, Edwin describe the objectives, um, I, they're very sort of precise. They deal for real concerns, but it's, it's, it's uh, based on actual standards rather than actual feelings or actual political feelings or actually actual sympathies or, you know, uh, or actual self-interest or it's something very much having to do with the public interest. And so maybe if, if we can go through the remaining ones of them. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, well said. So these policies, again, are um, you know, something that we work to, to get approved and that they are backed through what we call enforceable mechanisms, which has all the authorities and all the Guam code annotated and all of that um, attached so people can actually really hone into what exactly is the standard that we're-, we're Both federal um, and local. Uh, both federal and local, yes. So what are some of the other objectives? So some of the other uh, policies, we have a policy or a high, hazard, uh, high hazardous area. And what this really says is that we don't want to be able to, uh, we, don't wanna, we don't wanna put people in high hazard areas. Mm. So let's say if it's a housing siting, we wanna be sure that it's not gonna be in a wetland, it's not gonna be exposed to coastal erosion or to storm inundation. Um, the next policy is on housing. Um, and this looks at, uh, the, it, it encourages the government uh, to ensure that there's sufficient design of residential areas, restrict, restrict such development in high, uh, highly susceptible to natural man-made hazards, and recognize the limitation of islands' resources to support historical patterns of residential development. Uh, another objective, which I don't think it necessarily applies to the MID, but if you're examining, uh, say, some other activity of the military buildup that's actually done on land, a very relevant one. Absolutely. Um, there's a, a policy in transportation which says that Guam shall develop efficient and safe transportation systems while limiting adverse environmental impacts on the primary aquifer, beaches, estuaries, coral reefs, and other co coastal resources. So this notion of transportation does also extend to the marine transportation. That mm. Any kind of transportation activity doesn't uh, affect beaches because you have the, the well, weight. That, well, and, that's yeah. a useful explanation because a normal person reading that language, they would normally think of roads. It, they would, yeah. yeah. So this but is, it also includes seaborne transportation, which which definitely would be matters dealing with a myth. Edwin, yeah. if I can yeah. ask you, would that apply to, would they consider transportation the coming ashore from uh, a training vessel where the, they, they leave the vessel and they all come ashore? Is uh, that a form of marine transportation? On the onset, uh, um, from just my basic understanding of that scenario, I view transportation as using any kind of mechanized vessel to transport something or someone. And so this is the case where they are transporting, whether it's for that marine activity or um, the, under the mitt or through normal transportations for commuter, I, I think the, the policy would apply. But I'll have to go back into the this policy matrix and then just to double check if there's anything excluding that activity. Yeah, I should mention for folks that we're in the beginning of the process of the um, federal consistency for the uh, Marianas Island uh, uh, training and testing area. Uh, it began with the, my issues of formal memo to relevant agencies for their input, local Guam agencies, uh, but we received the formal notice from the Navy uh, late last week here. Uh, Edwin has been on a conference call with um, uh, uh, officials of the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, under which the uh, Coastal Zone Management Program is, uh, to provide um, uh, guidance and work with them as we proceed with the uh, Federal Consistency Review, which is, as I said before, a very technical review. And it's, it's part of the ongoing approval process, which has gone, I think, since they issued it in 2017, Carlotta, right? I'm not exactly sure. I, I refer- But, but literally, but literally years, right? Yes, yeah, yes, yes. yeah. I refer so, to Edwin. Yeah, uh, and, and, and as, as do I. Um, but uh, this is something that has um, uh, uh, very strident com uh, comments in the, in the, uh, in the uh, public, particularly during the public comment period, both, uh, both pro and con. And um, uh, we've sort of moved past that. Uh, in their process, the federal government moves past that stage, and we're now in uh, basically the part where we deal with the technical data and actually the permitting requirements. And for that, you know, um, the Bureau of Statistics and Plans is, 
is um, plays a sort of key role in that process to uh, to work with it, work with these issues and and go where the evidence leads us. So, what other objectives are part of federal consistency review? Okay, um, we have a, another policy called erosion and siltation, and this talks about development uh, shall be limited in areas of 15% or greater slope by requiring strict compliance with erosion, sedimentation, and land use districting guidelines, as well as other related land use standards for such area. For this erosion, um, this policy we applied very heavily in when we reviewed the military buildup, and these are for the main containment bases. So you see these uh, applying more to development projects, and we have different standards that we can then require the uh, the federal government to make sure that they comply with, such as best management practices for both pre and uh, post construction and oh, implementation what kind of, of. Maybe you could explain for the listeners what kind of management practice practices. So, um, they're they're known as best management practices, and these are ways that construction um, can integrate natural features as a, as a way to control erosion and sedimentation. So things and like and silt reduce screens, the environmental impact, mm -hmm, basically. That's, that's of these ultimately things. the goal is to be able to incorporate that as a, um, a step in the construction process, both pre-construction and also post-construction. So looking at how uh, these features can be incorporated into the design of the building so that we can use um, natural features to help control control pollution and control runoff and improve water quality, which, which then improves you know, um, marine, marine life and all the other, uh, ensures that we protect our water and um, it's safe and um, you know, sustainable. Mm. Sustainable development being a rising concern worldwide as opposed to just development for just for the sake of development. Absolutely, and in an area that, you know, Guam is such a small place, and so with only 212 square miles, we don't have much room to get things wrong. Uh, I have never heard it more aptly said than that. We have such a small space, we don't have a lot of room to get things wrong. It's not as if we're California, and if you screw up somewhere in the Los Angeles basin, you can just, like, move into Fresno. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, continue, Edwin, please. Okay. Um, so we are moving on to air quality, and um, just for the listeners' uh, perspective, the Navy did, uh, we have a lengthy discussion on air quality, um, but the policy reads, all activities and uses shall comply with all local air pollution regulations and, appro and appropriate federal air quality standards to ensure the maintenance of Guam's relatively high air quality. So very, um, very general, but once you start to kind of um, drill down into the actual statutes, that's when things will get uh, very, very nebulous. But um, again, those are all the standards will be to comply with air quality. So we're certainly gonna look at the Navy's response and their discussion on air quality, and we'll make sure that we um, ensure that it is consistent with our enforceable so, policies. So we're in the list of the 18 objectives, about nine or? Um, so we're almost, Halfway through. Halfway through. We got, okay. We're now in resource policies, there actually. There we go. Okay. So Kalata, feel, feel free to, to chime in if you have any questions what? here. Part of what I asked in this program, Edwin and I have had this boring conversation about these things a lot, many hours ago, uh, many over many hours, but I appreciate your perspective as, as something is not one, necessarily one of clear. The things, one of the things I wanted to ask is I know that local policy is like a driving force, one of the key driving forces here. But when you, when you go through and you say existing, that doesn't preclude lawmakers or our scientists saying we need to add, right? We can add law, we could add policy, and then that becomes the higher, we can raise the bar? Yeah, um, so that's a really great question. And so um, just to, um, so these enforceable policies, um, they are 
a time reference, meaning that in 1994, Guam went through a program change in which we um, agreed with the federal government, with NOAA, these are all our enforceable policies. All the updates passed prior to 1994 are not included within this document. And one of the things that we are going to be doing is uh, going through that program change to make sure that any updates since 94 will be um, incorporated into the enforceable so policy. So he's referring to updates subsequent yeah. to 1994, not, not prior to 1994. So yes, that's something on the agenda for 2020, is to at least begin that process here. Um, a lot of um, a lot of, uh, of what we is involved in this process and is all too often described as um, matters or issues out of our control. And fundamentally, they are. After all, they're, they're basically federal decisions and federal policies decided by a, a president we do, we do not elect, a Congress we have no vote in, and judges appointed by the president we don't elect in the Congress we have no vote in. Um, but be that as it may, there is a number of avenues in the um, in the federal system, for us to work to to make our voice heard and to make have an impact on federal decision making here, it's it's limited, uh, but we can just we can uh, complain about being a colony or try to do something about it and maximize those advantages that we have. This uh, seems federal to be federal an consistency is one avenue. Yes. Yeah. So what are, what other objectives are there? Okay, so we're gonna um, we're Diving into the resource quality, the next on the list is water quality, certainly a, an important resource um, to try to protect. Uh, and the policy says that safe drinking water shall be ensured at, at and adequate recreational sites shall be protected through the regulation of uses, discharge, and discharges that pose a pollution threat to Guam's waters, particularly in estuaries, reefs, and aquifer areas. So these are basically all of our territorial waters, including the aquifer, um, recreational waters around the beach, and, and uh, our near shore ocean. Would, would these be affected by the Met, Met since they deal with ocean resources, or are they, they would, they possibly? Would be one thing to examine? Yeah, and um, just to, to point out that the Navy did pr provide um, a lengthy discussion on their activities and the, poten uh, the, effect, the potential effects to this resource policy, so. Um, again, we'll go through each of their um, each of we'll go through the response and make sure that we yeah let's let's try and do that after the top of the hour because we're heading to the CBS Radio News and uh, this is a this is a, I didn't want to interrupt you in mid explanation of one of these objectives here for those uh, of you out there I'm Tyrone Titano and welcome to the Data Hub with Tyrone Titano I'm here with Edwin Rages. Uh, from the Bureau of Statistics and Plans he's administrator of the Bureau's Guam Coastal Zone Management Program. And we're also with former Senator Collada Leon Guerrero. She's the governor's chief military, chief advisor in the military buildup and regional affairs. And in addition to helping us uh, go through all the uh, uh, issues involving federal consistency review and expand public understanding of it, I'm going to ask her uh, what's new with the, uh, the governor's trip to Pohnpei and regional matters. You'll uh, be the first. Uh, you're first to know. We have it. Yeah. We have <laughs> fresh off, fresh off the plane. You know, uh, not hindered away by volcanic ash. She's arrived here to bring the news from the governor's mission uh, here to the people of Guam, you know, as, as quickly as, the, as, as possible. Well, the governor's resting after many labors here. Carlotta is still going strong. So um, I'll, uh, with that here, well, I'll have her away and, uh, and uh, lead up to the CBS radio news. And when we come back, I'll, maybe I may comment and explain what music is you're hearing right now. It comes from that ancient time in history called the 1980s. See you, on the, uh, see you after the news. Bye.
Welcome back. This is the Data Hub with Tyrone Titano, and, and I'm Tyrone Titano. I'm here with uh, former Senator Collada Leon-Guerrero and Edwin Rages from the Bureau of Statistics and Plans, Guam Coastal Zone and Management Program. And for those of you who missed the first half hour of the scintillating discussion about federal consistency review and the Marianas Island Training and Testing Study Program, uh, you can c- catch up with the podcast of this program that's posted on k57.com. You have to go to the podcast section, then you'll find a list of uh, shows aired on K57 for which you can get the entire program on on their podcast to listen at uh, when you at your leisure and repeatedly listen to it if that entrances you before. And uh, maybe not all of you, but certainly Carlotta will listen to this program over and over again. <laughs> anyway, we are in the middle of going th- the explanation of uh, what the Bureau does for Federal Consistency Review, which is a, a mandate and function does under the uh, National Coastal Zone Management Program. It's a 100% federally funded program, but it gives uh, the, the local government, the, the uh, government of Guam, a role to play in the federal approval process for things like the Marius Island, Island Training and Testing Study Area, or uh, Training uh, Area, which is uh, estimated to be about a million nautical square miles, maybe the largest Department of Defense training area in the country, and which has raised up concerns regarding uh, the effect on the waters of Guam, particularly from uh, sonar uh, usage and from uh, possible uh, underwater bomb explosions here. And so this matter has now uh, touched on the doorsteps. The Bureau of Statistics and the Plan that began last week and we formally got notification of this uh, for a federal determination from the Department of the Navy. Uh, there have been consultations between Edwin and uh, officials of the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, which administers the Coastal Zone Management Program nationwide. And they're in the beginning part of the uh, uh, review of the, uh, f- uh, the f- for whether the consistency, whether the, the project is consistent with federal and local law. And these are defined uh, very specifically, we've gone through the first dozen objectives here, and there are about six left. So, and just to just to wrap up the discussion about uh, what is the basis Edwin and his professional staff will be using in order to come up with a evidence-based, data-based assessment of uh, this major portion of the uh, regional military buildup. Uh, once you go through the last half dozen of the uh, objectives or the uh, the areas of concern. Absolutely. Thank you. And so we left off with water quality and we'll move on to uh, resource policy three, which is called fragile areas. And the intent of this policy is to protect significant cultural areas and natural marine and terrestrial wildlife and plant habitats. The policy goes on to state that development in the following types of fragile areas, including Guam's marine protected areas, shall be regulated to protect their unique character. And the sites include historical and archaeological sites, wildlife habitats, pristine marine and terrestrial communities, limestone forests, mangrove stands, and other wetlands and coral reefs. Um, so while the, some of the projects um, and the, the testing activities is uh, in this marine area, one of the things that we are going to be concerned of is the testing activities that are going to occur on land. And so in the MIT, they indicated that there are going to be some testing in um, uh, Naval Base Guam, and uh, other areas. I'm, I'm just curious as to uh, what, what those are. Um, so for example, we see an expanded use in Dandan in Malolo. So I just want to be sure that we're covering all our bases and uh, that these activities are, cons- are um, do not have any reasonable or foreseeable effects to our policies. I'll move on to resource policy four, which is living marine resources. 
and the intent is to protect marine resources in Guam's water. The policy reads, all living resources within the waters of Guam, particularly fish, shall be protected from over-harvesting, and in the case of corals, sea turtles, and marine mammals, from taking whatsoever. And the Navy goes on to discuss uh, how their activities um, will, have an, uh, will, will affect this resource policy. So again, lots to review. Um, if, I, if I could just jump, jump yes. in on that. Um, Ty uh, gave us a, a bit of a hint of the type of training activities that are going to be going on and the kind of resultant uh, ripple effect that it could have on the environment. But I would just like to add to that a little bit more because um, some of the things that they're going to be do, doing is um, parachuting in or dropping in um, some kind of devices. And so one of the things that when you read them, it would be um, concern about all of the trap, uh, the the webbing and the trappings, and how that can get onto coral and how that can affect things. And so, um, and then I also mentioned about where they're training and they they run ashore and they're running ashore on coral. And then you'll read that um, um, the effect of sonar that there's some concern that the sonar has not just on whales, but what is the effect that it has on coral and the reproductive systems of coral or the sound effects of machines and everything going by on coral and how that disrupts their reproductive systems, which is very key to us. So it's it's just so complex and there's so much to it that you have to take into consideration when you're doing your review. And I, I just wanted the listeners to kind of get even a more picture uh, of, of what Edwin and his crew is doing. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the ways that we'll, um, be, we'll be making sure that we engage the network agencies of the government. And um, of course, there will be a public comment period. So uh, anyone's interested in um, using the comment period uh, uh, under this consistency review, it is going to be open to the public. And I think we should have it up on our website. If not, we can uh, email that to anyone who's interested. Um, the flyer did go out today. So we're going to try to cast the, the net as widely as possible, but certainly those technical reviews from any expert, whether it's the, the Marine Lab or anyone who wants to, to comment on behalf of the uh, on behalf of the government is certainly welcome to. And by the way, this is something I should have mentioned earlier. If anyone wants to join the conversation, our lines are open at 477-5757 here at News Talk K57. Um, uh, for myself, I'm going to remain a quite a bit much longer here just to uh, let uh, listen to Edwin, who is the of the three of us, the, the, the uh, professional <laughs> the here, the expert and professional here. We and feel strongly. We feel strongly, yes, that, that Edwin is the professional here. So, um, but, but actually, the, one of the major reasons why I'm doing this program is to avail to the public the sort of expertise that Kalata and I get to do because we're fortunate of the um, positions we actually hold. Uh, because uh, in tackling these issues here, it, it's going to involve a lot more than just the government and and individuals uh, who work in the government, but actually also the involvement of the community here. And so the more they understand the process at hand, the more uh, they understand the tools that are available that is under the control of the people of this community, I think uh, the more effectively we'll be making our case and impact on policy is decided by a federal government run by a president we elect, a congressman we have no vote in, and judges uh, selected by the president we elect, and the congressman we have no vote in. So Edwin, any more objectives on the list here? We do. So the next resource policy is called visual quality, and the intent is to protect the quality of Guam's natural scenic beauty. The policy reads preservation and enhancement of 
and respect for the island's scenic resources shall be encouraged through increased enforcement and compliance with sign, litter, zoning, subdivision, building, and related land use laws. Visually objectionable uses shall be located to the maximum extent practicable, so not to degrade significant views from scenic overlooks, highways, and trails. Okay, and, is, that, is that the last one? Or and the, we have a policy in recreational areas, so three to go. Uh, the intent is to encourage environmental compatibility, compatible recreational development. And the policy goes on to read, the government of Guam shall encourage development of varied types of recreational facilities located, maintain, located and maintained to be compatible with the surrounding environment and land uses, adequately serve community centers and urban areas and protect beaches and such passive recreational areas as wildlife, marine conservation, and marine protected areas, scenic overlooks, parks, and historical sites. Uh, public access reads to ensure the right of public access. And public, it's the, pub, the policy reads, the public's right of unrestricted access shall be ensured to all non-federally owned beaches, area, areas, and Guam recreational areas, parks, scenic overlooks, designated conservation areas and their public lands. Agreements shall be encouraged with the owners of private and federal property to, uh, for the provision of releasable, uh, releasable access to and use of resources of public nature located on such land. If I could just jump in on that one, I would think that um, I have heard grumblings through our regulatory monitoring compliance folks that getting access to conservation areas on federal land is um, it's a really tough thing to do and it's taking longer and it's harder to get to those sites and and so I don't know if this is something that we need to flag is this something that you're having is it difficult to get there time-consuming you know too many passes or where you have to go this is what I I'm hearing from our our and Compliance folks, regulatory folks, and and we have a call on line one, uh, Carmen, who has a question. And yes, okay. I I have a question about spot zoning, which is currently the practice. I remember that several, you know, decades ago there was there was a movement to try to move our zoning process into performance measures. Um, right now, we have commercial agriculture, manufacturing, heavy manufacturing, all those different categories of zoning. However, I mean, if you were to build, for instance, something that was um, manufacturing in an agricultural zone, under the new proposal for performance measures, it would have required that that industry that was proposed would have had to comply with uh, 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 measures that would protect the environment, and, and for instance, like um, recreational facilities in the immediate area. If I, whatever happened to that? Well, one of the th things in order to tackle I issues like the propensity to spot zoning, which is absent, absent actually a lot less nowadays than it, than it used to in its heyday, 
part of that that, that that allows for that situation is the fact that our land use plans are not quite up to date. The northern central land use plans are both 10 years out of date. The southern land use plan is 40 years out of date. And there's a whole segment around Agani and Sinahanya and that and running there that's like 45 years and haven't been updated for 45 years. So one of the objectives for the Bureau over the coming year, which is uh, has statutorily mandated for the uh, comprehensive development law, which is the basis for all the, l the land use plans, is to uh, move aggressively to try and uh, comprehensively bring them all up to date. Not just to address issues regarding the zoning, but to issues regarding uh, development as well. Uh, particularly one of the major concerns uh, coming worldwide is not just how to match development, how to produce sustainable development. And there's actually legislation that's been introduced in the Guam legislature that would mandate that as part of the process. So we're, we're trying to tackle that issue on a comprehensive basis. And, and that would involve more than just the zoning laws, but also would involve the objectives of the community for what type of community we want and, and how we want this to, to move forward, not only just to uh, expand the uh, opportunities and the usage of the, this island, but also to maintain it on a sustainable basis. So uh, the, our approach here is to tackle this comprehensively. Edwin, you had some, you know, something further comment? Yeah, and um, I can actually comment um, on your question and also cover the last resource policy, which is agricultural lands. And so, for example, um, the, the, the intent is to stop urban types of development on agricultural lands, and the policy reads that critical agricultural lands shall be preserved and maintained for agricultural uses. And one of the things that we've been seeing uh, uh, that, um, that is commonly occurring um, as they're doing zone changes, whether it's through a spot zone or is it uh, through the Guam Land Use Commission, is uh, uh, lots of pro agricultural properties are being converted to you know, commercial uh, R2 and uh, even uh, M1, M2. So this is really a concern. So what we really need to do is look at this policy and start to identify critical agricultural lands and then to designate that and give it that status so it can have these protections under these policies. The question then is that once we designate these areas and we can understand uh, as to what their features will uh, will allow us to, uh, will provide, right? So we don't want to just designate, uh, critical agricultural lands, they have certain features that make them critical, such as soil types, topography, access to roads, and those kind of things. Um, but we have, we really have no designated critical agricultural lands. So that would be the first step. And then once we have that designation, then we can protect it then those things can have, uh, then we can make sure that we, those particular lands do not uh, get rezoned, whether through legislative or through um, the Guam Land Use Commission. Yeah, which by the way, I have to say, uh, the circumstances that allows for the Guam Land Use Commission to do variances to various land use plans and to, for the legislature I'm going to do the same here is because uh, the land use plans are, aside from not being aggressively enforced here, but also are kind of out of date and that gives them the opening here. So. Part of the challenge we have is, is not only to update the plans, but create a, a process in which there continues community involvement so they remain update. Uh, Carmen, does that answer your question? Uh, well, we are a small island. Yes. And of course, in addition to the, the, the agricultural land, and um, we understand, and you know, and agricultural land has, you know, tends to preserve a lot of native species, um, that, you know, flora, you know, flora fauna. Um, but what about the economic uh, impacts of, you know, letting land lay fallow? You're talking about um, 
trying to think about what is the word. Well, the word that comes to my mind listening to you is choices. And this is why in developing a, a land use plan, it, you get the community involved so we can make the choices as opposed to sit back and let the choices be made for us as, as events sort of uphold. And uh, you're right, because we're an island. I mean, it's not as if we're like, you know, the Los Angeles Basin and something screws up. We just move out further into the valley or do something like, and, you know, continue with sprawl. Uh, we have to maintain uh, the resources not only sustainable, but sustainable in a quality of life that's acceptable to us all. Is okay. It, uh, well, I, I am. Now, I, um, I, I, can't, I can't think of the term that I'm looking for, but... Um, I, 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 there is an economic loss. Economic. It's called land. If we could build an agricultural community, that's wonderful. But we have no. But it has shown that agricultural, um, agricultural activity, um, uh, is very hard to sustain because it's family oriented. You cannot get somebody in there. To work for minimum wage when they rather be in air conditioning in McDonald's. Uh, these are really, uh, you know, these are really, you know, some 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 things. When you update your plan, mm -hmm. these are some of the things that you guys need to consider. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, okay? and, and you're right. You can't use agriculture as like traditional on the pre-war basis, but. Modern agriculture heavily relies upon industrialization, uh, and there are areas in, in, in agriculture such as aquaculture, which is also labor intensive, but not as much as farming on land. And it's 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 if it works on the mainland here, it will work here. You know, uh, well, even though the no, trend let me tell you, aquatic and wildlife resources has really pretty much shot down agriculture aquaculture on this island. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so well, there's no industrialist species they they are they are so concerned about effluent they but you know they they you know uh, uh everything has to be above ground which is understandable but you have to look at those policies too i would sure. love to see sure. you know fresh shrimp you know for all of our people sure. but well also for the jobs that would create yes Yes, absolutely. You, you, to come up with just a simple land use plan that doesn't take into account the socioeconomic factors, that's not going to work here. You need, a, you need something that's integrated, that's comprehensive, and that's why when we talk about up, uh, updating what's out there, it's not just the land use plan, but the comprehensive development plan upon which is based. The last time that was issued was in almost a generation ago, uh, or actually more than a generation ago. And so, and in the meantime, there are certain concerns that have arisen since the original uh, uh, comprehensive yeah. plan was issued. Things like climate change, for example. Things Absolutely. were unknown back then. So you're Absolutely. right, it's, it's a Herculean task and very complicated and, and uh, it's a sort of thing. And that, I would also ask you to look at the last comprehensive economic development oh, we, plan that, we was, have it that here. was done in 1989. Actually, we have So it we here. have to mesh these things together you to, because, you know, our people, you know, we, you know, uh, we, we have a very... Uh, 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 Delicate. Yeah, absolutely. They, one of the first things. And the ecosystem includes commercial. Absolutely. It absolutely. Includes uh, endangered species. This is part of our island micro microcosm of you know yeah, living in a tiny island. So you. Know. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for hearing me no, out. Well, Carmen, good luck to Carmen, all of you. One of the reasons why I'm, I'm sort of doing this show is to share the. Uh, the knowledge base from people like Edwin and get the community involved in this in this conversation beyond slogans, beyond yelling at each other, and actually thoughtful discussion about these issues so to, to enhance the understanding of the, our entire community. So I thank you for being part of that process. Thank you very much. Uh, we have one another caller and caller two. Uh, you're asking, uh, is there a still there? 
Or did I, did I lose the caller? Okay. Uh, well, while you're trying to figure out if you have a caller, what I would add to Carmen is I've been around many discussions. Where, um, I think that we're very fortunate that Governor Lulian Guerrero is a strong proponent for the development of the aquaculture industry. Mm -hmm. And whatever aquatic fish and wildlife might have been saying in the past about um, the concerns that they had, um, we, we know that this is an industry that has been growing leaps and bounds and science and technology is keeping up with it. So it, I think it's that, not It's not your grandfather's aquaculture right. industry before, So yes. I, I, I believe that her interest in developing this is going to drive it uh, aggressively, and, and I'm very excited about that. So I, w I would like to add that to Carmen oh. to let her know that. Okay, and we think we have our caller back on the reef. Hello, caller, are you there? Yes, sir. Yes, you were calling about reef um, res uh, uh, yeah, preservation. Yeah, you were you just talking about preservation or something like that, about the reef and the, the land? Well, yes, what we're covering tonight here is the basis by which the Bureau will be uh, evaluating the Marius Island uh, training and testing setting and, uh, the and what the standards are by which we go through a process called Federal Consistency Review and basically determine whether the proposal conforms to both federal and local law. And it's based on 18 different uh, policy areas. Um, here with Edwin Rages um, from the Bureau, uh, the administrator of the Guam Coastal Zone Management Program, who was going through each and every one uh, to cover the idea so you can, uh, people can understand the standards by which. Uh, okay, the, the, you know, Guam's such a small island that we keep developing and it's, I don't think we're gonna preserve anything here in, in this island, we keep developing. You know, the, the infrastructure that we have right here is, is uh, it's not even done yet with the military buildup. Mm -hmm. Another thing, you know, if Palau can, we want to preserve our reef, then we have, we have to do like Palau. The, we, got, we got to do about this uh, Suntan Ocean. Well, and, well actually, caller, I know, I know a couple centers. I know one in particular who's in the process of developing legislation to ban sunscreen for that purpose as well. Yes, I know, but you know, uh, our island uh, we depend on tourism. Mm -hmm. yeah, another thing, we're talking about the sites of uh, protecting the sites and views of uh, uh, of our islands, uh, so we can see a nice view. We keep developing. The reason why we keep developing is because we 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 depend on tourism. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. So the, the the best way to do this thing, and we, we don't have to spend so much money, is to cut down on, on people coming. I mean, uh, what do you call it? Um, um, the more people come to our island, I don't, I, I don't mind, man. I don't mind the people coming to our island, but we, our government is 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 uh, putting the shoulders for uh, the outsiders coming in over here. We have to de we have to develop so uh, we have to develop and uh, develop another plan because they're they're coming over here. And then their, 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 their island is being preserved, and our island is not. The reason why they're coming over here because it's the American money. And mm -hmm. the, the American money doesn't stay over here. Also, American law allows them to do this. You know. Uh, well, you, the, the Americans are the same like us. Guam and America is, are pretty much the same. They just come, they come over here with the money, and, and, and they, don't, they, they don't seem to uh, invest over here. I mean, like I said, Guam is such a small island. Okay, I appreciate the Americans coming over here. They protect our island. I, I, I'm thankful for that. You know, that's mm -hmm. um, we keep we keep doing this. We we keep we keep. Uh, it's all about money. And when we talk about money, that means we have to develop. And the only one that's making the money is the people that are are, are 
the higher rank, the, the higher management. Well, when the, 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 there is no there is no preserve over here. They're, they're the ones just making the money. Well, it's you know, only they're only for their happiness, only for either the tourists or for for the ones that are are just making these um, solutions. And it is it, it's just going to cost so much money. You know, caller, I, I really understand your perspective. That sort of alienation from what is happening in our island, how it's developing here, is part of the general uh, frustration with a, with a lot of things. Um, and but I think the, the the solution to it is to take an active part in actually making these decisions. Some of this is sort of limited because we're a colony, and not our destiny is not entirely up to our, us. You know, immigration policy is not set by us; it's set by uh, the government in D.C. Uh, but there is a lot of opportunities for us to get as much control over destiny as possible, to make the choices so that we can maintain the quality of life, even with the influx of people. Uh, one of the, and, and to be fair, I, I don't want to say it's entirely due to the, um, our position as a colony here. We also live in a global economy, which affects all sorts of uh, people, whether they live in sovereign nations or in colonies. And however, I, I think the, the, one of the solutions we're working on, aside from, I mean, um, you have an ample reason to, to be concerned and, and perhaps even to complain about it here. Um, but we're, so, uh, one of the things I think is, might be useful is, is to actually devote all that energy to actually working for solutions. And so, in part, this is why the Bureau is going to take up the challenge next year, or this year. Of, um, of updating the comprehensive development plan, a process that will involve the input of the entire community here. So we can deal with those issues about um, uh, the dealing with the influx of people from uh, off the island, not, and also the mention of the departure of people from the island for other areas for economic opportunity, uh, to make decisions so that there will not just be economic growth, but economic growth that benefits the entire community here. Uh, so that it's not, uh, well, I think one of the problems of the economy over the expanded here is that we have a large scale of population that's below the poverty level. We have a low unemployment rate, but, uh, uh, but uh, there's a concern that it, it mass uh, people from discouragement entering the job market and a large degree of underemployment. And so that speaks to the sort of issue um, that uh, is raised here and, and actually elsewhere across the country about uh, economic disparity, the, the rising gap between, uh, between rich and poor. And what you need is a programs that, I, that invest in economic growth, invest in, in the development of human potential and also as an, as with education, and also provides for balanced growth. So however development proceeds, there's a process in place so that it proceeds in the direction that we as a community wanted to proceed, as opposed to just being buffeted by it as, as, it, as it unfolds. Um, uh, and what I think the mechanism to do this is through updating the comprehensive development plan that will start that conversation and that will do what, uh, uh, as Edwin has described with the federal senior, enforceable policies, policies that will have an impact here, policies based on local law. Uh, they won't solve all our problems, but it will give us, I think, a great say in shaping our future as opposed to letting our, fu our future shape us. Uh, does that answer your question, caller? Yeah, we just need to we just to really maintain our, our what do you call it our 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 islands um, no our islands yeah. natural charm and beauty yeah and the minerals we are yeah. we're gonna our waters gonna get contaminated or, yes our, our, so many people uh, the more the more people come to our islands the more trash 
Mm-hmm. You know, they, they can't even solve the problem. Well, actually, there are, there are a number of solutions uh, rising for, to do that. The governor recently created a zero-waste working group that's chaired by uh, the first gentleman, Je- Attorney Jeff Cook, who is uh, uh, very much interested in recycling and the environment here. And part of the goals of zero-waste here is to is to stay, take things that, that we are, are disposed of in the, in, um, in, by the local community and our economy, instead of s- paying money to have it buried in a hole, in a landfill, but use of upcycling ups, uh, and recycling and reuse here, and so have it go back to the economy where we can create more private sector jobs, and also uh, help minimize the cost of living. Uh, with the biggest impact on the high cost of living in Guam is we import so much stuff. And if we actually use more stuff here, not only uh, agricultural products which we grow, but use reuse stuff here, like into uh, into uh, mixture into asphalt on the roads, or uh, to create uh, composting heaps that would uh, take some of the um, the uh, human waste that goes into the landfill, and actually use it to create uh, fertilizer for farms, you know, uh, and uh, and for landscapers, and reuse plastics. And there are machines out there that can melt down plastics and make other products out of that melt down plastic here. If we do more of that and actually uh, provide use stuff useful to us who live here that is actually made here then we don't have to pay the huge shipping costs which the Jones Act imposes upon us and which drives up the cost of living here. So there, there, I'm not going to say any of this stuff is easy or can be um, uh, done overnight here, be, uh, uh, despite the governor's best intentions. She was not handed a magic wand when she was sworn into office. But there are solutions out there and there are people actually working on it to provide that sort of um, uh, sort of uh, progress to move forward to deal with these issues uh, head on. You just can't do overnight, but it takes work. But I think um, I think that's work that has to be done. So thank you, caller. Uh, thanks for calling. Anyone else wants to call in? Uh, the phone number here is 477-5757. Uh, I'm here with uh, former Senator Collado Leanguero, uh, who was the governor's chief advisor for the military boat up in regional affairs, and Mr. Edwin Rages from the Bureau of Statistics and Plans. He's administrator from the Guam Coastal Zone Management Program and has a lot of work for him ahead of him in the next few months and doing the federal consistency on the uh, latest uh, venture from the Department of Defense as part of the overall military buildup in the region, the Marianas Islands uh, Training and Testing uh, uh, Area. Um, and so uh, we're heading down to the last 20 minutes of the show. And before we leave, you know, I asked my good friend Kalali Grill after a grueling t- a trip to Ponape, uh, to once she gets back on to please come on to the show straight from the airport. So she can give us the latest updates of Governor Luland Girls' uh, uh, meetings in the FSM with the president of FSM on a variety, variety of regional issues. So uh, with that, I'm going to bec- become very quiet and listen intently as, uh, as I ask my good friend Kalali and go to give us an update as what's up with the governor's trip. Breaking news on the Tai Tai Tino show um, from the governor's trip to uh, Pompeii. So thank you uh, for this opportunity. And Edwin, thank you for giving me some of your time away from outlining the objectives. I really appreciate it. So the there was an inauguration for the new Pompeii governor, uh, who is Reed Oliver. He was the last lieutenant governor, and now he's the governor. And there was also an inauguration of the new 10th Um, legislature. So we went over there. um, That was one of the events that we went to. And it gave us, uh, there was a lot of governors in town from Koshrai, from Chuuk, a lot of leaders from the Marshall Islands. So these events are a great time to get together and in kind of a more informal setting where you can arm wrestle over some pretty tough issues that, that 
Guam has with uh, the compacts and the movement, uh, the federal policy that allows the movement of uh, people from the freely associated states to Guam. And so uh, we, we participated in all of the events. The governor, I think, really strengthened her relationships with uh, the governors that she's in an organization, the Micronesian Island Forum, made up of all the governors and presidents of the region. So their friendships and their working relationships are, are well, very important. And then, and then we had meetings with the president, President Penuelo, and his compact negotiating team. And you met some of those team members when they were in town recently. You rem remember? Yes, I remember that. Yes, uh, distinctly. So, uh, just for the um, uh, caller's uh, information here, what are the outstanding issues for which the governor has been arm wrestling, uh, as you put it, uh, just to go over briefly. One is, of course, the outstanding compact uh, negotiations between the uh, well, U.S. government and the mm -hmm. Free Associated States. And and she talked to them quite frankly about what it was like to go out to six villages uh, in these village meetings uh, to talk about public safety and what was coming back. She wanted them to feel the body blows and the pain as well as some success stories so when you go out there you the good the bad and the ugly you kind of get it all and she wanted to share that with them so for everybody that would stand up and say you know we feel that um young people do not have enough uh, activities they have easy access to alcohol they're breaking into cars then you would have somebody stand up and they've been uh, from the freely associated states working as a teacher in our school system or as a social worker or they are organizing church activities so you, you kind of got uh, a cross-section of it all and she wanted to share that in every encounter she would she it, she has a really tough job of hitting hard but at the same time acknowledging that it's just the actions of a few that are misbehaving in the community that are giving an unfair picture to everybody so she she really goes out of her way to acknowledge that so once she acknowledges that then she gets down to like some specific events that are very troubling and what are what are they doing about it what can they do what is she thinking of doing what she has lawyers looking at what is the potential so it was um, pretty far-reaching um, uh, discussion. Just this was just on the mm -hmm. public safety plan, mm -hmm. so that was before we even got into the nuts and bolts of the uh, compact impact. And and how do you think the governor's representations were received by the president of the seminar, and the leaders? I think that I I would say that it was a lot of it was painful to receive. Mm -hmm. You can imagine if you got a report card because. You know, you went to where there's a big Guam community, San Diego or something, mm -hmm. and you got that report card. Mm -hmm. You know, you get defensive, you get a little mad, you, you, you know, you're, you're hunting for a better story, you know, you, you're trying to look for excuses. But in the end, you have to acknowledge that, you know, she's grappling with this and then she'll start throwing out the numbers. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, uh, one of the numbers is that 26 percent of the inmates at the Department of Corrections are, um, you know, members from the freely associated states. And there, there, I understand there are similar numbers at uh, the residents of the juvenile uh, detention facility yeah. as well, DYA. So she she would just back it up with statistics, and then the the impact to the healthcare system, the impact to 
the education system. So, um, yeah, I called it arm wrestling, and um, there were some painful moments and encounters, but I think that what was really important is they could see her sincerity, mm. and they could leader to leader imagine the position that she's in. She has to talk about mm. that. She's mm -hmm. the leader of Guam. She has to come be brave enough to get in your face, in your state, in your place, mm -hmm. in a table across from you and say, this is what I'm grappling with. This is what's going on. So you can only kind of do this um, when, you're kind, when you're away from everybody, when you have all the pageantry and the reporters and lights, camera, action, and everybody mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. It's a different meeting. But when, particularly in the outer islands, and but yeah. when you've just got the leaders there and it, you're you're face to face with the president, and you're mm -hmm. saying this is this is what I'm experiencing, and this is not going to continue. This has to get better, mm -hmm. and you have to help me. We have to work together to help make this better, especially with the uh, upcoming mm -hmm. compacts. Mm -hmm. And I would think that the governor has a decided advantage in these in building these relationships, given her ten years of president of the Bank of Guam, which is the leading regional bank within Micronesia here so she's got long-standing relationships but it wasn't just that it that is true they do know her from that but everywhere we met people would say oh I remember when you were in APIL and you came to Pompeii because it was it was kind of um, two senator female senator Leon Guerrero mm -hmm. come into APIL at, at the same time and so it was remembered, and here we are again, the two of us together again. So there would be people that remember her from 95. I remember when you were here in 95 and you were talking about these issues. So she's got a long history of working on these issues, and she's got, not just because of the bank, she's got, she was in the Nurses Association for years right, before that. that. Yes. The Association of Pacific Nurses is the oldest regional organization mm -hmm. and she was working regionally as a nurse before she ever on became, healthcare issues on yeah. healthcare issues so she can carry a lot of um she's walked the walk so therefore yes. she can talk the talk yes. yes that's the best way to put it so they know the width and breadth of of, of what she's bringing to the table and so and i think uh, with no disrespect to uh, uh governor calvo uh, who came before her, Governor Camacho, who came before uh, Governor Calvo, they did not have these same relationships. You know, they hadn't been in that regional organiz nursing organization, or they in hadn't words, been to the non-political environments, like like regional nursing, yes. like like or business environments, like through the mm -hmm. Bank of Guam, as opposed to political environments, yes. for which. You know, they're all expert politicians, you know, well, so. They know her. They, yeah. everywhere we went. For things other than politics, yes. which is, which is, I think, an added advantage yes, here. Yes, they know her. And I have to say, um, she's like a rock star, you know, yeah. that when everybody sees her, they want to come up to her, they want to talk to her everywhere we go. So it's, it's really an honor. It really is an yeah. honor to be there with her when people, you know, uh, if they didn't like her, and, and uh, they wouldn't be running towards her if she didn't have her own personal relationships. They, they really, uh, it means a lot to them at, to see when they hear her talking tough, knowing she has to talk mm -hmm. tough, but then they see her, you know, uh, drinking cacao at a traditional ceremony in the village. It really says a lot.
Yeah, you know, I, I had a small taste of that when uh, we uh, traveled in official capacity to the CNMI governor's inauguration, mm -hmm. which is certainly shortly after the uh, governor of Guam's inauguration in January. Mm -hmm. and, and her inauguration was wildly popular. That almost matched the popularity of the CNMI governor's inauguration, you know, because of those extended links there here. So, Carlotta, what do you, uh, building on, um, on the work of both uh, the governor and you have done on this trip here, what what are the next steps ahead, do you think, for uh, in our, our mm. policy to achieve objective goals? What are we trying to achieve? Well, we met with uh, we met with the president and his compact negotiating team. So uh, the chief negotiator is Leo Falcom Jr., mm. who is the chief of staff of. Boy, that's a name out of the past. I know. It? Is, I know. Yeah, it just, Former president Leo Falcom Jr. is the son. He, you know, what's uh, really uh, I think kind of special about uh, Leo Falcom. Uh, junior, I've known him for some time, and I was good friends with his father. But he is now the chief of staff for the third consecutive FSM president. Mm. Now that is quite the feat, that you are so administratively competent and respected and trusted that three presidents have kept you. Well, Tony Babout has a goal now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Leo Falcom Jr. is the uh, chief negotiator. Uh, Epel Ilan is on the team. Asterio mm -hmm. Takesi is on the team. Uh, there is a new foreign affairs secretary. Um, we just called him Candy. I'm not even used to his last name mm -hmm. yet. And the former foreign secretary is Lauren Roberts, who is... Uh, president, the president's so, chief so advisor. This is the team for the FSM. Obviously, for the Marshall Islands and the Palau, uh, Republic of Palau, they have Palau's their own not negotiating yet. Okay. So, so it's this is just for the FSM, yes. which is the first one up to bat. I yes. Think. Yes. And uh, so, so we're we are very interested in picking their brains, and then they were very interested in hearing what our concerns were. So they told us that President Trump has had meetings uh, with President Pinuelo. High-level meetings with yes. all, all the presidents of the Freely Associated and, States. And, yeah. he, and he said that he wants this compact completed by the end of the year, which is the end of his term. So he wants it done on his time for sure time while he's president. There's no guarantee he's going to be back. So that's really stunning. That's an expedited schedule. The compacts are, are end. And, uh, just the financial portion and some programs end on... 2023, their their right to move into the United States and to avail themselves of, of certain services, that will continue. So it's very expedited for if we have one year uh, and counting down. So I, we were very interested in what is their schedule of meetings? When are they submitting reports? Who are they meeting with? Because we want to know how we can plug into all of that. And Carmen seems to be back with a question regarding compact impact. Carmen, are you there? Yes, I am. Um, Senator Leon Guerrero? Yes. Yes. I think that there's one really big gap in your negotiations and the participation. I think you need to have Joe Bradley in there. You know, uh, I think Joe, Bra Joe Bradley will definitely be somebody that's on our team. What we are doing right now, what Tyrone and I have been working on. I'm so glad you brought this up, Carmen. What Tyrone and I are working on is to create the methodology uh, that that calculates the impacts to a greater degree 
of both the, positive and negative positive and negative of this migration onto our 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 economy and our government services so uh yes uh, and, Senator, and joe will be a part that, of that i think he has i think he has a good grasp on how uh, uh these the compact uh negotiations in the past have been skewed towards the benefit of the federal U.S. federal government and not the islands for whom they are supposed to serve. Well, I I can tell you we are Ty and I are part of the the Guam team, and uh, definitely we will definitely include Joe Bradley because he is a wonderful resource. Uh, the we have secured some uh, grant money. And Ty sent it up to, or we signed a, a, a memorandum of agreement with the University of Guam, and their team uh, is looking economists. at economists. Uh, yeah, economists, but also uh, taking a look not only on the uh, revising the methodology by which the uh, impact of the compact as a free association are are, are determined, and to comply them with the standards that are set in the um, 2013 General Accounting Office However, standards, but I, but also do the economic benefit analysis as well. Yes, Mr. Chaitanel, you need some. Um, uh, e e you, you folks need uh, uh, constitution. I mean, you, you need institutional knowledge. Well, that's true, and and certainly, and that is where he comes in. Yes, absolutely. And I, Joe and, I've, Joe, Joe and I have had conversations about this many a time. So certainly, he'll he'll be looped into the process. Thank you, absolutely. Thank, thank you, you for thank you for uh, uh, giving us an opportunity to talk about the fiscal analysis uh, that's being done conducted uh, by a bunch of economists. So, well, it's not just a fiscal analysis; it is actually the the focus of where the Carmen, so, one of the things. Oh, excuse me. Did you did you want to finish, Carmen? Uh, this is. I think that I think that the negotiations with the federal government has been, of course, to their benefit. Mm. And I think that Mr. That Mr. Bradley can provide a lot of a, a lot of evidence and a lot of institutional knowledge to show that this has been the case, and, and to also detriment. Mm -hmm. Okay, you, and that's all. Oh, okay, thank you so much, thank, Carmen. And thank you, you, thank you so much okay. for for calling back and participating in the conversation. You know, if anybody ever asks me, Ty, does anyone ever listen to your radio show? I can say, well, Carmen does. So again, <laughs> thank you so much for contributing to the conversation, Carlotta. You were saying something. I, one of the things, uh, Carmen, that um, you said it's to the detriment is I read everything and I just drill down and I read old documents and. Um, when it came to immigration, the the newly developed country of the FSM wanted to control immigration, and it was the U.S. that says, no, it has to be unrestricted migration, because they did not trust that the FSM leaders wouldn't play favorites of who got to leave, and et cetera. But they were coming from the point of view that they knew they would be brain drained, and, and that is the issue that they have right now. When you send everybody out to get educated, it's really hard to get them to come home. And to give you an idea, so everybody can get a bit better picture 
of, of why they're coming here. Right now, uh, people are working in, there's the only one that has a minimum wage is Pompey, mm-hmm. and that's $1.35 an mm-hmm. hour. So in Chuuk, uh, you could be working construction in, and making 80 cents to a dollar an hour. So then you hear your cousin is making $9 an hour working the graveyard shift at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do? You would come over here when you hear that because you want to do what's best for your family and, mm-hmm. and your kids and your schools uh, and, and their schooling. So uh, there is a whole lot of factors. And that is one of the things that the governor talked to them about so strongly is in their economic development. They got to get to uh, uh, these living wages. They have to get those wages up more. If I could just make a plug that as you're looking at the um, various impacts, whether uh, social or economic, that we also look at environmental impacts. Um, so if there's a way that we can kind of work that in there, if there's something, um, any way that our office can help to contribute to that process, we'd be more than happy to. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and Ty, your office is key. Uh, he, Ty and I are working very closely on this. So anything that you bubble up, we'll get in. Particularly on the broader social landscape, uh, that, that was one of those. It is reflected in actual cost to, for government services. Um, and by the way, I forgot to mention, if anyone wants to, wants to read the long list of uh, federal consistency standards, which Edwin was kind enough to go over with us this evening, they can get it to www.bsp.guam.gov and look under Federal Consistency Procedures Guide for Achieving Federal Consistency. And so if for, if for some reason, well, some of you may, you may not look this up, but it Carlotta just, but Carlotta will. I know, but because she I, reads everything. I do, but it, know, so. I just when you say it, we fall into a whole different world of you know. I mean, it it, it it's exciting to me and to you and to Edwin, but mm-hmm. I don't but know. But man, how many federal consistency <laughs> procedures guide for achieving federal consistency. Okay, uh, Edwin, let's see if we can get an acronym for that. You know, just to, just we'll, to make it more. We'll work on. We'll it. work on that one as well. You know, and. Um, uh, but uh, anyway, so some closing thoughts in our final minutes of the program. Uh, Edwin, anything you want to add on, about the, uh, uh, your upcoming mon- monumental challenge of doing federal consistency of, of all things, a million square miles? Uh, any final thoughts you want to impart to the listeners? Um, no, just that we are going to certainly do um, our very best to engage the uh, uh, technical reviewers with the government of Guam and also uh, open this up to public comment. So we just want to encourage everyone to grab a copy of the MIT. Um, you know, call out, uh, call our office. We'll be happy to email you those documents. And and it's now posted online by tomorrow. It will be before the end of the and week. And there is a public comment period. So just uh, encourage everyone to participate, but then also um, be mindful that we do have to get these uh, comments in so that we can take it all in and write the Bureau's position statement. We only have 60 days to do this, so um, that that will that time will, will fly really fast. Edwin, I wanted to ask you... It's usually when you respond, when we ask for public comments, it's a very specific way that they have to respond or to the address. Is that the case here as well? Um, um, no, our, co- our public comment period is very general, but we would like for folks to look at our enforceable policies and to base, base their comments on discussion on that policy. Okay. For me, what I would like to say, I mean, I spoke about the governor and about the compact impact, but I want to use just this 30 seconds to well, say... Actually, you have more than 30 seconds. What, so what I would like time. to say is that um, I, I'm so glad that Edwin's had this time 
uh, so that the vote uh, voters, the listeners, the constituents, the people can can get an idea of the caliber and the passion and the commitment that resides within the government of Guam. You'll often hear about Ty, because you know mm-hmm. that you hear about the directors and what they're up to, but behind every director, mm-hmm. you've got all the this technical staff and support. And Edwin is one of those people that I rely on since I first got there. When I the very first letter that I got, I didn't get it or understand it. And then I went tracking it down and within minutes I was talking to Edwin. And and he would say and he calmed me down by, I'm on it. I've got mm. it. I'm already reviewing it. I'm doing this. So that happened like the first week in uh, with the administration took office. Yeah, first, first couple day. of days, because it just comes flying at mm. you, and so it can be really scary when all of a sudden you know you have to respond to this. And so I would just like people to know that we've got uh, a highly trained, capable technical staff. Well, thank you both for being on the air. We uh, was going to give Ed, uh, Edwin some time to talk about the other things the Guam Coastal Zone Management Program does, but that'll be taken for uh, another show. They do things like uh, deal with the island-wide cleanups. They also are part of the application review committee for land use permits here. Uh, they also do uh, a, a number of things to promote uh, uh, the preservation of the um, of the natural environment and beauty of the island, which is a quote from the statute, by the way, and the and the uh, and the uh, uh, comprehensive development plan. Uh, but thank you all for joining me here. Uh, this is, I'm sorry, what's that acronym? Oh, USAAC, what's the unit? US also, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. This is one of the lead agencies doing the Army Corps of Engineers in order to deal with solutions to flooding in areas like the South. But we'll cover it in the next program, Edwin. Thank you all for joining me. This is the Data Hub with Tyrone Titano. And the news comes at the top of the hour, and we'll have you uh, listen to a New Order on the way to the news. Thank you. Those who came before me.